This is the secret Socrates here. Remember me? My job is to make learning about rhetoric fun and easy. But wait a second, what is rhetoric? Guess what? You already know what it is and you do it every day. It is the art of persuasion. Intrigued by my trailer? Of course you were. Today, I'm going to talk about speeches. More specifically, what they do and how they do it. This week, I'm kicking off a four-week exploration of some of the most moving speeches out there. From the White House, to the Black Panther Party, celebrities for social causes, and the One Young World Summit, these speakers have something to say that sets them apart. But what is it? What makes a speech something that we cling onto for years and years after the fact? What is it about speeches that can make people sit on the edges of their seats or blast against them on social media? Before we get into the actual speeches, I want to take a second and talk about what makes a speech something that we pay attention to and remember. Great speeches pay close attention to something that we in the rhetoric world call the rhetorical situation. That's a fancy way of saying the argumentative context. So think about it like, what is going on in the outside world around the speech? We have three things to consider when we think about the rhetorical situation. Exigence, audience, and purpose. Today's focus will be on audience, but I want to preview the other two because all three do work together. The first is a little something, really a big something if we're being honest, that we call the exigence. Exigence is the urgency and relevance of the argument. What makes the speech or text a work that responds to a problem or topic of the moment in which it was created? A good way to remember the term exigence is to think about the exit. There's a fire and I need to exit the building right now. It is urgent. When we're reading or listening to rhetoric of the past, we need to remember that the exigence that we need to think about is what was going on in that moment in time, not our current moment in time. Of course, many arguments that we read hold relevance today, but that is something separate from the argumentative context. Now on to the second part of the rhetorical situation, audience. An effective speaker knows who they are talking to. Some questions to ask are, what beliefs do the audience hold? How might these jive with what is being said? Or how might these turn the audience off? What knowledge does the audience have to bring to the speech to understand the speaker's message? How is this message relevant to those who are receiving it? Even though I love speeches, naturally, I am the secret Socrates after all, I am less thrilled when I listen to speeches about developments in, say, developments in quantum physics or marine biology. Why? Because my knowledge on those topics is so limited that it really doesn't ignite a passion in me. I find myself spacing out. 
matter how convincing the data is or how vivid the descriptions are, I find it difficult to be invested. However, if the speaker is able to bring that content down to my level, meaning explain the fundamentals and basics clearly, I'm more interested. I feel like I'm learning something new. If they make connections to everyday life and show me the applications, I become intrigued and listen intently. Audience, a very important consideration. Lastly, the purpose. This is linked very closely to our two previous elements, exigence and audience. The purpose needs to be relevant and applicable, needed and wanted. Some questions that we ask ourselves are, what's the big message? What is the speaker trying to do? What are we to do as the audience once we walk away? Sometimes a speaker has multiple purposes or goals. We see this a lot in social action rhetoric. All right, enough of the boring stuff. Let's put this thing to practice. For this podcast, I'm taking some sound clips from CBS's YouTube video of JFK's inauguration speech. This is in the public domain. I'm using this primary text to provide you with some concrete examples. Let's look at a classic, JFK's inaugural address, delivered on January 20th of 1961. On a bitterly cold day in Washington, the American people welcomed a different type of president to the stage. At 43 years old, he was the youngest elected president. He was only beat out by Theodore Roosevelt, who succeeded to the office after McKinley was assassinated. And if you ask your grandparents, many thought he was pretty darn cute. With this brought the expectation that he would have fresh perspectives to share, fresh things to say. He opens the speech by situating himself in the context of American leadership and acknowledging a new set of challenges. Let's take a listen. For I have sworn before you and Almighty God the same solemn oath our forebears prescribed nearly a century and three quarters ago. The world is very different now, for man holds in his mortal hands the power to abolish all forms of human poverty and all forms of human life. Here, we see JFK establishing relevance. These are times that are different, and he is suggesting that because of this, we need a different approach. As an audience, we should listen closely because he also suggests that we are going to be a part of that solution. Little old us. Let's also remember that what he refers to as the power to abolish all forms of human life is the creation of the atomic bomb, which was a contemporary phenomenon for the audience. In 1942, 16 years before, FDR authorized the Manhattan Project, a code name for the American effort to develop a functioning atomic weapon that might rival its German contemporary. And just a few short years later, in 1945, the bomb was dropped on Japan, 
and caused unspeakable devastation. With some distance from the event, Americans acknowledged that this was a powerful and dangerous capacity. After revving up the audience over international injustices, he once again turns to what we can do as the audience. While this is a scary world, JFK convinces us that we can do something about it. In fact, he puts pressure on the audience. In this next segment, pay attention to how he actually doesn't give specific action steps. Rather, he's focused on a feeling and an urgency to act. In your hands, my fellow citizens, more than mine, will rest the final success or failure of our course. Since this country was founded, each generation of Americans has been summoned to give testimony to its national loyalty. The graves of young Americans who answered the call to service surround the globe. Now the trumpet summons us again, not as a call to bear arms, though arms we need, not as a call to battle, though in battle we are, but a call to bear the burden of a long twilight struggle, year in and year out, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, a struggle against the common enemies of man, tyranny, poverty, disease, and war itself. Can we forge against these enemies a grand and global alliance, north and south, east and west, that can assure a more fruitful life for all mankind? Will you join in that historic effort? While the audience doesn't really know how they will fight the common enemies of man, tyranny, poverty, and disease itself, as you can tell by the audience's reaction, they're on board. Here is a perfect example of how logic isn't always at play in a speech. This is much more emotional. Perhaps the most famous lines from this speech echo earlier calls to action. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. My fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you, but what together we can do for the freedom of man. Finally, whether you are citizens of America or citizens of the world, ask of us here the same high standards of strength and sacrifice which we ask of you. As you can hear, once again, this was well received by the audience. There are cheers which suggest they're ready to take action 
and they feel inspired by what they've just heard. While JFK's message is ultimately pretty abstract, he's building a strong rapport with Americans in this speech. He's sending the message that he'll be an active president who gets things done and considers public opinion. This is always a prevalent theme in political rhetoric, even today. Hey, thanks for joining me today to learn a little bit more about audience. Next week, I'll be exploring exigence and the rhetoric of Bobby Seale. For now, this is the Secret Socrates signing off. Remember, rhetoric is all around us. Make sure to pay attention. For now, this is the Secret Socrates signing off. Remember, rhetoric is all around us. Make sure to pay attention.